All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Agora Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Navarro. This is Juan Schroff. What's up, fam? And our guest. Am I introducing myself? Yes. <laughs> uh, Chris Should've Barry. Off with that. We got Chris Barry here in the house. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself here in a minute. So, what's our topic today? Today, we're talking about sleep. Don't yeah. fall asleep on this one. Because this is going to be a great episode. You're going to learn a whole lot and why you should be getting more sleep yeah. than you probably already are. Yeah, so I, it, was, it was really funny. You were like, uh, what is sleep? Because as college students, we were probably asking that same question every absolutely. single damn day. You know, you're in class, and then uh, you don't really sleep because you either go out and party and get, you know, <laughs> or study. I was going to fuck up. But yeah. Oh, eight yeah. years ago, my boys. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. All right, Chris, go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. So uh, I'm Chris Perry. I'm a PhD student at Arizona State University. Um, I am a strength and conditioning coach by training, personal training for 10 years. Um, and right now I'm getting my PhD in exercise and nutrition sciences, uh, and I specialize looking at sports nutrition, but also working in the sleep lab, I've specialized in sleep science and how it relates to physical activity. So what got you into, what made you want to study sleep? So it actually, you know what, I actually just fell into it. Um, working through so the you ground. you fell asleep. <laughs> you could put it that way. Um, working through the grind, uh trying to figure out my career uh, after undergrad. Um, you know, I worked private strength and conditioning for a while, worked retail, just trying to figure out where to get my bearings. And when I ended up doing my master's degree, I got really into exercise science and still had a big tie to strength and conditioning, but didn't really, you know, know exactly what I wanted to do yet until I met my previous mentor, Dr. Chomantowski, who showed me all about research and exercise science and solving problems. Uh, and I just became fascinated with exercise physiology and how the human body works and what goes on underneath when we strength train or yeah. when we do sprints. Um, so after that, I really wanted to do my PhD because I found that my passion, deep down, I'm a coach. You know, I refer to myself as Coach P or Coach Perry. Um, and I relate better by teaching others. So how much better to do that than to get my PhD in these yeah, jobs? Absolutely. Um, and at the time, Arizona State ha still has this great interdisciplinary program uh, which looks at all facets of health and wellness and exercise science. Uh, so well, the great thing about our cohort of people is not only does someone, you know, specialize in fitness or exercise science and what happens on a physiological level, but we also have people who look at wellness and mindfulness, meditation, yeah. and how that relates to the human body. So all we, aspect of health and wellness. Yes, yeah. we have people who look at biomechanics. Uh, we have people who look at nutrition. Like We have a whole group of nutrition students in our program. Um, and then we and then we have sleep. We have a professor who, who you know looks at sleep and physical activity. So there's a big wide array of you know aspects that are analyzed and researched when we look at health and wellness and exercise. How important would you say is having a total a total approach to one's health? Because I feel like uh, in in especially with with our age of, of people, college age students and and young professionals, they think it's just going to the gym beating yourself to the ground, and eating well. Yeah. And that's that's the whole yeah, there's, there's There's this mindset of uh, you have to put in so much work. So sleep kind of takes, you know, takes a back back seat to everything else because everybody's on this, you know, like high speed, we've got to work, you've got to work as much as you can mm -hmm. um, to get all these things done. So let me try to answer the question the best I can. So, so you're right, you know, 
overall health and wellness takes a very general overall approach. There's so many aspects of health and wellness that people either don't take for granted or they just they don't take into consideration at all. Yeah. Because you're, you're right, there's multiple pieces of the pie, all right? It's one big, large pizza, all right? There's a slice of everything that you need to attend to in order to have great fitness and wellness. Not only do you need to do physical activity and make sure that you have good cardiorespiratory fitness and good muscular function and strength for overall physical functionality, but you also need to be on top of your physiological stress. If you're not taking care of your stress, you're not going to have optimal performance for cognitive ability or for physical performance. If you're not on top of your nutrition, you can also affect not only performance, health, and cognitive performance, but you need to be aware of everything overall as a whole. So physical activity, nutrition, and then when we start diving into sleep, you're right, that is one of the most biggest things, especially guys and girls your age, yeah. that they just don't pay attention to and don't realize. You know, when I, I'll tell you, when I was in college and, you know, I talked to fellow students and the most common thing I would hear is, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You yeah. know, I'm going to stay up really <laughs> late at mindset, night. Yeah. I'm going to go out and party. I'm going to eat all hours of the night, which now we're finding that eating later at night is probably not a good thing for our health, and we'll get into that when we start talking about uh, circadian rhythms. Um, but, you know, a lot of students are actually shooting themselves in the foot that we're actually starting to find. You're like, you shouldn't stay up until midnight when you should be getting a sound, I'll say it, eight to nine hours of sleep <laughs> if you want to maximally perform in any aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into the why. So you mentioned um, uh, the overall health picture as like a pie, and I really like that. How big of a piece do you think sleep fits into that pie that if, people are ignoring? If you're not getting a efficient amount of sleep, quality over quantity, and getting at least the amount of sleep that you need, which we'll talk about when, I, when you ask me some stuff about the research, it'll affect the rest of the pieces of that pie. It won't matter because what happens during sleep is so vital to the rest of the processes that we have to go through as a human body physiologically, it won't matter, you know, that you, you will never be optimal you're not getting the amount of sleep that you need for your body to actually perform maximally. So you said quality versus quantity. And so yeah. typically the recommendation is, like you said, eight to nine hours of sleep. Now, is that kind of across the board for everyone or does it kind of depend? Okay, so if we want to look at what most of the research says, most epidemiological studies will say seven hours is right there in the middle of what you need. So if we look at factors that for all cause mortality, uh, anything higher than seven hours of sleep and anything lower has a stronger correlation with, you know, lesser health, okay, uh, not being as healthy. Um, but as we know, if you're getting six hours of really quality sleep versus someone who's getting 10 hours of really not so good quality sleep, yeah. in the end, it's going to be the individual who's getting the more quality sleep that's getting more benefit than the person who might have only had a sleep efficiency of 50% mm -hmm. and then only really got five good hours of sleep out of the 10 that they were actually asleep. So can you define what sleep quality exactly is? And is there like a threshold? Like, let's say I get really good quality sleep, but it's only four hours. Will that still like benefit me a lot more than if I got like eight hours of really crappy sleep so and this is where we're going to get into the stages of sleep and that that will all depend um can, can there be some genetic variability that you know there are some people who just need more sleep or some people who need less sleep mm -hmm. that's true as well uh there are some people who don't need as much sleep to function optimally and when there's there's some people who need a lot of sleep to function normally um, but for the majority of the population there is that you know that middle ground that you need to shoot for in order for each stage to fully do what it's supposed to do when you're sleeping. Uh, 
So if you want to get into the, the stages of sleep, you know, stages one and two aren't yeah, the most. Absolutely, go for it. <laughs> uh, stages one and two aren't the most important. You know, stage one is that first seven to ten minutes that you're actually starting to fall asleep. You know, you have these these you know faster waves uh, of sleep patterns when the body's just starting to get in tune. Uh, and then sleep stage two is where the majority of your sleep takes place, um, which actually doesn't have much of a function rather than just being you know that lighter fair of sleep. And then it's stages three and four that are going to be the most important. Yeah. This is the very deep sleep stages. And unfortunately, we only spend about 15 to 20% of our entire amount of sleep stages within that. So that's where you're going to see higher rates of mitosis and protein synthesis. That's where you're going to see more memory consolidation and more restitution. Physically, you're going to see more growth hormone, uh, more testosterone released throughout the body if you're male. Um, and then after that, of course, at, at the end of the 90-minute sleep cycle, which I know was one of your questions, mm -hmm. is when we hit that REM stage of sleep. And REM is very important. Uh, so I always say deep sleep and that REM stage of sleep uh, for sure are vital. And if you're not getting those, that's what's going to contribute to your overall quality of sleep. Um, so a lot of people ask me, well, I don't necessarily, you know, I'm only getting you know, maybe six hours of sleep per night. Well, if you're not hitting those deeper sleep stages or hitting your REM sleep cycle, that will actually affect the way that you perform cognitively especially because REM sleep where you're, is when your, your brain activity is the most active. Yeah. Uh, this is what they've, you know, they've deemed as where our mind recovers. Okay? This is where a lot of the memory consolidation takes place, processing everything throughout your brain. Uh, if you're not getting that REM sleep, there are a lot of things that happen in the body which may not just recover as fully as yeah. they should. So that's a, that's a good point right there that you, that you made um, about memory consolidation. You yeah. need to be in yeah. this REM state for you to actually retain most of the things that, because I mean, if we see it every day, students will cram for things all night, their exam is the, the following morning. Um, and from what you're telling us, you need to be in that REM state for you to even retain this information. Otherwise, it's kind of a moot point. If you're not getting that good quality of sleep, especially in those deeper stages, it you will not, A, learn any type of skill, whether it's reaction time-based or you know skill-based physically, um, or anything actually cognitively will not be put into the long-term memory as well if you're not getting that sound quality of sleep. So not just memory, but as in like you're talking about skill acquisition too yes, in any aspect. And we could talk about that with athletics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is there a way to, to kind of accelerate that process of getting into REM sleep, or is it kind of no. set? That's, no. that's oh. pretty set. Okay. So like, your so body's going to do what your body's going to do. Yeah. And if you have poor sleep hygiene, which we'll also get into, yeah. um, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. Um, your body is going to go into the stages as it sees fit. So how long does it take your body to get into that? Because you said stage one, stage two, and at stage three, you, you, usually, you, you usually get into REM, into REM sleep about 90 minutes into your sleep cycle. Okay. So it literally goes stage one for seven to ten minutes, stage two for another, and then you're in stage three and four for no more than 15, 20 minutes each, and then you're in REM sleep, end of the 90-minute sleep cycle, and then it repeats itself. Repeats itself. Gotcha. So, oh, so you, when you say repeat, does it, so you're going back to stage one? Correct. Oh. So this is when we'll I start. I thought you were continuing. Your, okay, that's okay, okay. Yeah. So it repeats itself. Yeah, so... And certain stages will get shorter or longer. One thing that I've kind of just heard from different sources, I don't know if it's true or not, is that if you wake up in a certain stage of sleep, like depending on the stage that you wake up in, um, 
you're gonna feel either better or worse. Is that is there any? Okay, so this yeah. is a perfect segue into napping, gentlemen. Okay? <laughs> I love napping. Um, because that's exactly it. If you interrupt a particular stage of sleep, that will have an impact on whether you feel groggy or you can actually contribute to more sleep debt. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if we want to talk about the subject of napping, because this is what everyone wants to know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> can I nap <laughs> and it actually make me feel yeah. better? Yeah. Can I just nap? If the you whole take way a power nap from twenty to thirty minutes. Cut it at 30 minutes. That's my best recommendation, okay? That's enough to actually help refresh your mind a little bit, have things slow down just a little bit without overly impacting your sleep debt. Because the more you sleep during the day, the more you add to the sleep debt at night to where you won't have as much sleep when you go to bed. What is, you know what what is a sleep debt? So when we stay awake, so we are diurnal creatures, all right? So we wake up at a certain time in the morning, we go to bed at a certain time at night. When you're awake, you're acquiring sleep debt, Okay. It's the term used to say, okay, that's the amount of sleep that I need to get to recover from it to wake up the next day. Okay. When you're napping during the day, it takes away from that, and you're less likely to get as much quality sleep during the night than if you didn't nap during that day. So if you take little power naps, it's not going to affect it as, say, taking a 90 to 2-hour nap during the day. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're taking a nap, anything longer than 30 minutes, you're at risk of interrupting those deeper stages of sleep. So if I were to go take an hour nap, more than likely, I would be interrupting stage three or four. And then if I set my alarm to wake me up in an hour, I would be more likely to feel groggy, be more fatigued, I'd be more tired. It would take me a little longer to get going again in the middle of the day. Whereas if I took a power nap, I wouldn't have that. I would still be pretty refreshed. I'd still be pretty alert, pretty active. Or you sleep longer, because they've even found sometimes if you wake up at the end of the sleep cycle around that 90-minute period, then you can also try to avoid that grogginess, tiredness feeling. But I always tell people, if you're going to nap, keep it short and sweet. That way you don't have as much risk as uh, having a negative impact on your sleep at nighttime. So would would you suggest, you said 30 minutes, fewer napping throughout the day? Like some people like to take several naps, but you said that that contributes to that sleep debt. Nap, if it get if you get into the later stages of sleep. If you do little quick power naps where you don't fall into those deeper stages. Ah, steeper, okay. Ah. So the length is what matters. It's the length. Okay. So 20 to 30, cut it. Wake up, like, wait, open your eyes. So just a little power nap with a little bit of music. Just closing your eyes has some positive benefit. Okay. Think Dang. of it as a meditation period. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Already dropping bombs. I love it. So let's, I want to dive in first into the kind of more overall general health stuff, the things that are impacted by lack of sleep, too much sleep, et cetera. And then I kind of want to dive into um, athletic performance, uh, how it affects, how it affects all the type of stuff. So what, what exactly happens to us if we don't get enough sleep? I know it's a very, it's a very broad question, so... (laughs) Um, Let me, um, I'll leave it up to you. A to, lot of to different say what's things. Important. So sleep deprivation is is terrible for the body. It's well, just, let's let's narrow down our audience. So let's let's say to your your average uh, college student. So like, all right, average college kids. So sleep deprivation affects all the systems in your body. Whether we want to talk about me- metabolism, whether we want to talk cardiovascular, muscular, cognitive, almost everything. Okay. Um, so if we want to talk about the college student who, you know, wants to be alert during the day, wants to be able to pay attention in class, wants to keep a, maintain a healthy body weight, okay, all of these things are going to be threatened by sleep deprivation. Um, so let's start with metabolism, all right? So when, when you stay up really late at night, all right, 
what they found is when you stay up past the point that your body, you know, your body revs up for sleep as time goes on. We're on a circadian rhythm, okay? So as, as the day goes on, temperature rises throughout the day and gets to a sticking point at the end of the day that, help, that stimulates the SCN in your hypothalamus, which signals melatonin release, and we got to get ready to go to sleep. Can you explain what SCN hypothalamus is? Sure. So the SCN is the master regulator of your circadian clock, okay? It's in your brain. It's the suprachiasmatic nucleus, okay? It's stimulated by light, okay? Uh, oh, this will be good because then we can start talking about blue light. Um, that's what keeps us alert. That's what keeps our clock going, okay? There are, also, there are other clocks within your body within peripheral tissues, such as your liver and adipose tissue, okay? Um, so what happens is, is your circadian clock can be stimulated by light, but it can also be stimulated by the food that you eat, okay? Um, which can reset the clock. So when people stay up late, later into the night, they're prolonging their body from getting the rest that it needs. So rather than falling asleep like they should be, they're trying to stay awake. This in turn is going to make the body have to rev up the metabolism in order to keep them awake, to keep body processes going, okay? So what do kids do? They eat, okay? The body says, sends a message to the body that says, I need, we need to eat more, we need to take up our energy expenditure because we're trying to stay awake, we're trying to keep processes active when we probably shouldn't be, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's why people, and then what are you doing late at night when you're studying or watching TV? Snacking. You're, you're snacking, oh, yeah. and you're, but like activity-wise, what are you doing? Sitting. Oh, you're sitting down, sitting, yeah, you're yeah. sedentary, okay? So this is gonna even further more to, you know, things that cause, you know, gaining of weight and everything as well. Yeah. If we wanna talk on a circadian level of metabolic processes, it, Sleep deprivation has a negative impact on your ability to, you know, tolerate sugar. So you'll have problems with glucose tolerance. You'll be more likely to gain insulin resistance. Uh, you'll have lower insulin sensitivity. And this, over time, will also contribute to that weight gain and that potentiality to be a contributor to metabolic disease development. So can we extrapolate and say, and you can say if I'm wrong on this, but can we extrapolate and say that lack of sleep contributes to an increased risk in diabetes? Of course. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I mean, of you course. said metabolic disease, so yeah. obviously that, that kind of falls within that category too. Yes, of course. Yep. Uh, and that's a lot of the things that we look at, and that's actually one of the target uh, diseases we're going to look at, hopefully, for my dissertation. Gotcha. So, what would you. So, you said the, bo the body has this natural uh, uh, cycle that it goes through. It, as a, at the end of the day, it kind of you know, it revs down. Um, and gets you ready for that um, good quality sleep. What would you uh, suggest, or do you have any advice? Because I'm, I'm on this end of the equation where um, I work really late until probably around 10.30 in the evening, and then I go to the gym, and then I'll have my meal then. So is that, like, is there no hope for me? Or <laughs> is there something that I can do to kind of put my body in a better kind of cycle? Like, can I change my cycle to where, you know, I can do those things and still get good quality sleep? So I'll give you some advice first off. Turn off your damn lights when you're sleeping. He <laughs> that keeps was, his lights on that when was a he mistake. falls asleep. That was, that, was a mis <laughs> that was one time usually I like sleeping with the lights so on. So that's a huge loaded question, and that's something that's currently being investigated is night shift work. That's how that ties into that. Uh, night shift work is horribly detrimental in the body and has even been labeled as a carcinogen now. Uh, it's a carcinogen? Correct. Night shift Whoa. work has been labeled officially as a carcinogen wow. putting you at risk to develop cancer. Wow. Um, Hashtag toxins. It, it's terrible for the body and staying up late like that is it's not exactly night shift work but you're still prolonging your circadian rhythm. Uh, but you're also an active individual into fitness and physical activity who must also take care of himself throughout nutrition. 
Um, the bigger question is, can an active lifestyle combat that? Okay. okay. The, the negative impacts of sleep deprivation. Um, and for all we know, and it's, it's, it's a question that I've always posed, is can physical activity provide me protective benefits against the negative impact of sleep deprivation? Mm. Um, and that was an original question I had asked for a potential dissertation topic uh, because it's something that we think is most likely a thing, um, but w there's not a lot of research that actually shows that because you can relate this to individuals in the military. Um, how is it that they're able to fully function and carry out orders and combat procedures when, sleep deprived, deprived when, people. Yeah. when they're sleep yeah. deprived and they're all crazy on their circadian rhythms and everything else. Yeah. Like, is there a protective effect of physical activity? Which there may be. There may be some sort of you know, upregulation, certain gene expressions that protect them. Um, but there's no knowledge that I know aware of what studies have actually looked at that, which is why that was intriguing to me as well. Um, so my, my guesstimation for you is... Do you have any? Have you ever gotten your blood taken to look at any of your health biomarkers or anything? I have like not, that? not recently. I will at the beginning of the year for my, you know, regular physical. What things should I be looking at specifically? Uh, <laughs> that's another loaded question. <laughs> uh, you, you, you would have to look at things like your glucose tolerance and your levels of HbA1c. Uh, you would you would have to look at the markers that they use for, say, inflammation or glucose tolerance or anything like that that would show you any indicator that you might be. Uh, being at risk for those symptoms. Okay. Uh, but you being a young, fit individual um, who is constantly engaging in physical activity, I would somehow doubt that you would be at risk. Um, but that doesn't mean that changing your lifestyle in some way would help you. There, there, there is the possibility that that could also be a thing. Um, and there's a lot of you know, interest in this, uh, these eating methods of time-restricted feeding uh, that have also been found to... Um, try and help regulate the circadian system. And you're talking about uh, intermittent fasting? Sort of, okay. um, but we'll, let's, let's one topic at a time. Okay. <laughs> so we're jumping around a little bit. Um, so I guess let's keep going. So we started with me metabolism. Yes. Now let's, let's go over overall stress on the body as a whole. Um, so how does it affect athletic performance? In all the ways you don't want it to, okay? On a cognitive level, when you are sleep deprived, you will have less cognitive ability, you will have more poor reaction time, you will be more likely to make poor decisions, okay? You will not be able to be as quick or as strong on the field. They have seen power decrements with individuals, uh, especially rugby players who are exerting maximal effort uh, within their lifts um, or in long jump and, uh, and vertical jump. Um, a lot of decrements of performance. And before we go further, let's define what sleep deprivation actually is. Sure. Okay. So sleep deprivation is usually anything less than six hours of sleep per night. Okay. Um, and the main issue with it is you might feel okay, but you could be chronically sleep deprived and not know it. And you would still have the negative effects and you just wouldn't perceive it as, as well as you would. And um, so just real quick, just to kind of clarify on that, that cause I see a lot of people that kind of brag about how little sleep they get, and they're like, oh, I feel fine. Is that kind of... That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, they might feel fine, but they might not be performing to their 100% capabilities. Yeah. Um, because what happens is, is when you start... Uh, <laughs> when you deprive yourself of sleep, it only takes the body two to three days to adapt before they start to feel as if it was normal. Yeah. Okay? Now, although you carry yourself out day to day throughout your lifestyle, feeling normal, being able to do your regular things, that doesn't mean that you're causing extra stress or extra harm to your body, all right, um, on that physio physiological level, because stress will overwhelm you over time, okay? 
especially for someone who's highly engaged in weightlifting and strength training. Uh, this is something that can contribute to you know, more stress than what the body can handle and could lead to a potential uh, overtraining. And this is something a lot of uh, scientists in bodybuilding and strength training will talk about all the time, is everything that you do throughout your life is going to contribute to the stress you put on your body. And if you're not taking care of the number one thing and taking care of recovery as one of your aspects for sure, you can definitely harm yourself and cause decrements, not only performance but also cause injury to yourself. Um, Let's get on a hormonal level, which a lot of people won't like at all uh, as well. Uh, when you go through sleep deprivation, you do see lower levels of growth hormone and testosterone. <gasps> no. Okay. Well, I mean, you said um, it, right? Once you hormones. get into that, those important stages of sleep, that's when those hormones kind of, you have a spike in them. Correct. And mm -hmm. it, it, it has a profound uh, effect on your endocrine system. And then one of the biggest things is, one of the biggest things when I was a strength and conditioning coach, uh, and I still coach and personal train on the side, yeah. is recovery. That's one of the things that I've been interested in since my master's degree. That's what, kind of what my master's thesis was on. Uh, recovery is super important to me because not enough people do it enough, yeah. okay? Uh, whether it's getting enough sleep or doing the cor correct recovery modalities, yeah. um, flexibility, mobility, what have it, okay? Um, when you're sleep deprived, uh, you limit yourself of those deeper, slower wave stages of sleep. Because uh, what they have found with the research is athletes in particular, um, they have, when they measure their sleep, you know, not even, you know, looking at the effects of more sleep on, uh, on the performance, but just looking at how much sleep they have. Compared to normal individuals who don't engage in normal, like, intense athletics like an athlete would, the athletes will always have higher levels of slow wave stage sleep. They'll always have much longer periods of time, uh, which can only be uh, connected to the fact that they need more time for restoration. They need more time for recovery, higher, uh, more time for mitosis and cell division and recovery of cells and, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. For injury prevention especially, if you're recovering from an injury, you're going to need, more, you're going to need rest and sleep, recuperation. Yeah. Um, and so just to cite a few studies, there's a couple studies that have been done that have looked at what happens when we extend the sleep of an athlete. Um, now granted, some of these studies you know, may, could be seen as being blown out of proportion. Um, but there was one study done on basketball players where they extended their sleep to 10 hours per night, okay? Yeah. And they saw massive increases in performance across the board on three-point shots and all other uh, performance measures for a basketball player, um, including cognitive ability and everything else. Um, but, you know, just think common sense now. Yeah. You know, the more you put your body through, the more it's ultimately going to need in order to recover. Um, and if you say you get seven hours of sleep per night, I'm, I'll probably say, you know what, that's better than nothing, and that's better than what most people get, and if that's what the study says is at least what you need to avoid chronic disease, great, but I always tell people get more, okay? Eight to nine hours of sleep, even if you're, especially if you're a college student, okay? Because more than likely, it's, you're going to have a certain period of time that actually takes you to fall asleep, and then what happens if you had poor quality of sleep? Then you're not actually getting those seven hours of sleep. So when you think you might be getting seven, you might not be getting five, depending on how often you're tossing and turning. And that can depend upon your sleep hygiene habits, which I think we should close with because that's the all-around what people want to know sure. is how to optimize their yeah. sleep. Um, so which is why I always say, someone asked me, Chris, how much sleep do I need to get? I say, set, set your clock, eight to nine hours a night. And if you've been feeling stressed out, if you've been feeling tired chronically, if you're having some sort of performance issues personally or physical or, or you know athletic wise, check your sleep, see what you're doing, okay? Because sleep can affect so many things within the body. That makes a lot of sense because so you're always on 
on, on uh, telling people get more sleep. And I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to physical activity and exercise, they get the fact that, all right, if I'm a really active individual, if I'm an athlete, I'm a student, and I'm, and I'm on for most of the day, then I'm, my nutrition is going to be, obviously, I have to take into account, like, I'll need to take more protein, or um, I'll need to take more vitamins, I'll need to take supplements. Uh, they know that they need to get more of these things because as an athlete, you like for my performance to be better, I need more of those things. But they don't take into consideration that I probably also need to get more sleep. Yeah, and you're, you're exactly right. And not only athletes, everyone. I recommend it to yeah. anybody. Anyone who might have some sort of uh, health issue going on, sickness, or feeling chronically tired, or just not chronically themselves, get some sleep and watch things change if you're improving on your sleep hygiene as well. Um, so we've, we touched on metabolism, we touched on endocrine system, we touched on recovery. Let's also talk about the nervous system uh, because this is something that's very important, especially when it comes to relaxation. Uh, so you said at the beginning of this talk, us as society now, what are we doing? We're on the go 100% of the time. Yes. We never, never ever come down, yeah. okay? Ever, all right? <laughs> So what, what does the average American do nowadays? We're driving in a car, we're text messaging, we're stressing out about some assignment I need to do or something I didn't do at work or what my kid's doing that day. Oh, I got to take the kids to practice. I had to make this for dinner tonight. Oh, I got to see Game of Thrones, okay? You know, whatever it might Welcome be, Game of Thrones. Yeah. we are on the go all the time. Constant stimulation. That's you. Not Our minds me. are all over yeah. the place. And if we want to relate this to the nervous system, Especially if we engage in athletics, you know, because I know this is, you know, the main audience that you guys are targeting right now. Um, and especially if we're taking in caffeine products, taking in stimulants all day long, then we're, our sympathetic nervous system is always on the go. Yeah. We're always charged up. All right, I'm trying to watch yeah. my French. All right? <laughs> no, please. No, yeah, we, have, uh, we have no yeah. filter. We're, we're always we're on the go. <laughs> we're always on the fucking go, charged the <laughs> Go for it. So what, what sleep deprivation can have an impact on your nervous system is dismodulation and regulation of your nervous system, okay? Mm -hmm. So we can be in such of a sympathetic state all the time, it's harder for the parasympathetic nervous system to kick in, okay? Can you explain the difference between the two? Sure. So the sympathetic nervous system is the part of your nervous system that helps get you up, revved up and ready to go for yep. activity, yep. okay? Flight or flight response, okay? Boom. You know, heightened heart rate. Uh, improved uh, neural impulses for physical activity, you know, it gets you ready to go, yeah. okay? Um, the parasympathetic nervous system is rest and digestion, okay? So it's relaxation, rebuilding, you know, lowering of the heart rate, lowering of your blood pressure, you know, overall, the recovery process. Uh, the main part of the night that's going to help you get into that relaxing state for recovery. Yep. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, and you'll see this, especially in individuals who are stressed out and have anxiety all the time, more often than not, that they're just really on the go. And when you're getting sleep deprived, your body has a hard time of getting you out of that sympathetic nervous system state, okay? Uh, and you have a really hard time relaxing, okay? Because we're always so on the go all the time. And it's hard for us to relax before we go to sleep. And what's another bad thing we do at night? We're on our cell phones yeah. or we're watching TV. We're on our computers. And if we're not filtering out the blue light especially, uh, that just continues to stimulate your suprachiasmatic nucleus and helps keep you awake, okay? So remember, like I said before, the SEN is the master regular of your circadian yeah. clock, yeah. okay? That's what, you know, keeps your clock going. If, if you're receiving short wavelength light, okay, which is blue light, which is what we get from the sun, okay, you're basically telling the brain that we're awake, it's daytime, we need to keep going, yeah. okay? 
if it's eight or nine o'clock at night and you're still on your phone and you get that blue light emission, whether it's from your phone, your computer, or your television set, it's going to constantly keep you stimulating. Mm -hmm. And it's going to advance, it's going it's to keep pushing the phase of which your body would normally be releasing melatonin to let you go to sleep, okay? Um, so what do we do, okay? You limit the blue light, okay? You either turn on an app on your computer, on your phone, to put up a red light barrier that filters out that short wavelength, wavelength which is normally a red light. Uh, so you'll see apps like Flux, which is on iOS. Uh, you'll see um, Twilight, which is on Android. Um, but now most of, most of the phone systems now are actually smart. They have a night light, okay? Mm -hmm. Make sure that light turns on when the sun sets at night. That way, when you reach that particular time of day, you have given your body enough time to, you know, get away from that blue, blue light and you allow the body process to happen naturally. But then people ask me, what if I watch TV at night? Well, you have a predicament, don't you? Okay. <laughs> turn off the fucking TV. <laughs> you either turn off the TV and That's you... That's you have TiVo. And you do... <laughs> and you do activities that don't involve any electronics... Um, yeah. Or you get Wait, short wavelength a, glasses. There's such a thing <laughs> as doing activities without electronics. Oh, yeah, it's the oh, new thing. It's, it's all the rage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can, if, if you want to go that far, to purchase short wavelength filtering glasses. That's a thing. Um, yes, it's a thing. And they've done research studies with these things uh, where they've actually seen increases of up to 50% of melatonin secretion in the individuals who wore wow. the short wavelength filtering glasses compared to the ones who did not, okay? Um, so this is like the new sleep mask. But usually my recommendations are to cut all electronics one to two hours before okay. bed. That way you give yourself no potential or, or risk of receiving any type of electronic stimulation from light. Um, and then you can just really focus on letting the body tone down and get ready to go to sleep and I guarantee you you start doing that for a week you'll notice a major difference for sure in terms of what your sleep quality yeah, sleep quality yeah gotcha. um, and that's just one of the pieces of the puzzle when it comes to sleep hygiene mm -hmm. so you you suggested that if for us to get good quality of sleep so cut off the, the electronics um, you said two about two hours one to two hours yeah, one to two hours before you go to sleep mm -hmm. um, what activities would you recommend that are okay for us to do to kind of help us wind down and help kind of jumpstart that, uh, that good sleep cycle. Okay. Um, so, you know, it, it's tough because, you know, some people will say, you know, any type of active activity is going to try and stimulate you and keeping you awake. However, there are individuals who can read books and fall asleep just fine at night. Uh, so in my opinion, it's more or less, you know, what type of activity relaxes you, okay? okay. But if we want to talk about my main recommendations for ways to, you know, tone down at the end of the night, do things that are going to encourage that parasympathetic nervous system activity. You know, I, I, I'm going to say it, boys, yoga, okay? Any type of relaxation type of activity that's going to release tension, uh, uh, release muscle tension, relaxation, you know, and it, this is something that will be great for recovery anyway from physical activity, especially for strength trainers or athletes who need that extra flexibility work. Um, but not only yoga, mindfulness techniques. Uh, you know, I was more on the conservative end with things like this in the past, but the more you practice this, this has to go with you being on the go 100% all the time. Actually doing mindfulness techniques such as meditation can really help to allow you to calm down. They, they allow you yeah. to focus on yeah. a particular thing rather than thinking about a million things at once. And this can actually help you relax, can help you get you into those deeper breathing states, which gets me into the next thing. And this is something I'll tell all my personal training clients. 
at the end of a workout or at the end of the night, practice diaphragmatic breathing, okay? Um, which is simply laying down on your back, elevating your feet 90 degrees by putting them on a chair or a box, and just focus on that deep diaphragmatic breathing. Uh, it is the diaphragm, those big deep breaths, that helps stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system activity. Um, and a lot of people actually say it's the dysfunction of those breathing patterns that actually helps keep us in this sympathetic nervous system state all the time. Because, you know, I'll, we'll just go back to, you know, the typical American thing right now, you know, rounded shoulders, texting, driving. What are we? We're really tight up here. Chest is really short and tight, where a lot of us are chest breathers. Where our chest is supposed to be secondary breathers compared to the primary, the diaphragm. Okay? So the power lifter's got it right. <laughs> for sure so I, I usually encourage people to just you know lay down prop your feet up you know at 90 degrees and just focus on deep breathing for 10 minutes just to help get the parasympathetic nervous system going and it's very simple because then people will say well I can't stop thinking about stuff and I'll say well turn on some Enya or some light instrumental music light jazz light meditation music and just tune everything out and count your breaths in and out. Do that for 10 minutes, and I swear it'll help you feel that much more relaxed and geared down, ready to go to sleep at night. I love it. We're going to continue the conversation. Um, for those of you who are watching, thanks for watching, first of all. Uh, we have only one memory card for use today, so I have to shut off the audio, <laughs> but or shut off the video, but we'll continue the audio. So for those of you who are watching or listening on the audio, don't worry about what I just said. We'll be right back after this quick technical break. Yeah. After a word from our sponsors. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> so besides where, wherever we left off on, you know, mindfulness meditation techniques and that diaphragmatic breathing. Um, so just to retouch, recap, since we were just changing technologies here. So that diaphragmatic breathing is very important because a lot of people nowadays, you know, we, we're, we're sedentary, we're in seated positions a lot. Uh, we're more likely to have, you know, a kyphotic posture. We're, we're more likely to have internally rotated shoulders. Uh, we're more likely to have that forward head posture where our neck and head protrudes forward. Uh, we're more likely to have tight hip flexors, which is all going to, you know, allude to, you know, poor glute function. Um, and those tight hip flexors as well is going to, you know, inhibit the full functionality of our diaphragm because we're going to be constantly breathing from our chest all the time, especially for stressed out individuals. Uh, so practicing uh, this diaphragmatic breathing is a good practice, not only for individuals looking to just tone down and try to, you know, eliminate stress at night, but this is also good for the athlete uh, who's trying to, you know, re-engage parasympathetic nervous system activity. And I'll tell people all the time, do this after your workouts too. Because remember, during your workouts, you're really engaging the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. And you want to start recovery right away. So as soon as your workout's done, do some static stretching and do some deep breathing to help promote recovery. Because uh, just take it for someone anecdotally who's been lifting for 10 years and constantly battles chronic deficiencies in mobility and flexibility and, and aching pains. Because when I was your guy's age, I thought I was invincible and could get, you know, just keep going forever, okay, and just do all these movements not knowing that what the movements I were doing might have been out of alignment or biomechanically incorrect. And then I never did the proper recovery modalities of relaxing, taking care of my stress, et cetera, that now I have to deal with on a daily basis, okay? Um, so, you know, the sooner you nail this stuff in the bud, the better. Um, but getting back into into sleep now, so uh, I know Mike, you you were you were starting to mention to me about you know sleep apps and tracking your sleep. 
Um, as, as far as I can tell from what's out there, apps that are on your phone that say they track your sleep, they're not going to be accurate at all, okay? Because there's so much that goes on. If you don't have EKG leads attached to you, um, the, it, they're going to be very inaccurate because there's so many measures that have to be taken when you're going to sleep. Uh, so the most accurate measures of your sleep is done with actual actigraphy, um, with actual research devices that you have to get from a university or you know medical you know clearance devices. Yep. Um, and the only devices that we really use here at the university are known as micro motion loggers. Uh, they're very expensive, dull looking watches, um, <laughs> but they're great for measuring light and movement throughout the night. And the gold standard for measuring your sleep is polysomnography, which you have to go to a hospital or some type of polysomnography clinic to have that done. Yeah. Um, those are the gold standards for measuring your sleep. Um, can apps give you somewhat of an estimate? Uh, I, I would much rather go with an estimate from a watch like a Fitbit before I would rely on my phone app. Okay. Um, but even the Fitbit... Uh, across the board with what it measures isn't 100% accurate either. And that's something on a whole other subject that people need to, you know, not look at their Fitbit fitness watch as dogma. People need uh, to come to terms with <laughs> yeah, because, because it's just not that accurate. Um, but it can give you an idea yeah. of the things that you're doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so those are just some of the nighttime practices. Um, but then like we were talking, you know, with you earlier, how you like to play your musical instrument at night. If there's some sort of activity that you like to do that helps eliminate stress, is going to be a much better activity to do in the evening that will help tone you down and get you ready to relax. Because it's all about being in a relaxed state and not being on the go 124-7. Yeah, okay? um, but then we can keep going with this and talk about all the other aspects of sleep hygiene. And it seems that we've taken that direction now. Sure. Yeah. Um, so... Sleep hygiene. Let's talk about first, you know, what a lot of people want to know is what type of supplements can I take in order to get better sleep? <laughs> I take sleep? melatonin. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the best supplement is to take? Take care of your sleep hygiene. That's what I'm going to tell you, okay? Because there's not really any supplement with strong efficacy for improved sleep quality, okay? Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned to me, Mike, once before about magnesium and zinc. Yeah. And I'm about to trash all the ZMA yeah. supplements yeah. out there. ZMA is a big all thing right. with sleep. If you're, when it comes to micronutrients, if you don't have a deficiency in the first place, they will more than likely not help you all that much, okay? Um, sure, if you're in a deficiency, they can definitely help you. Um, supplementing magnesium, um, if you're not getting it from the diet, sure, it can help you. It can help regulate blood pressure. It can help you relax. Um, it's been seen to help individuals with insomnia, okay? But if you're getting an adequate amount from the diet, from dark leafy green vegetables or nuts, supplementing more may not help you at all. Okay? Question real quick. Um, would somebody who's already sleep deprived um, benefit from zinc mag? Because would, would sleep deprivation actually put you in a deficiency? Honestly, I, I don't think it would have that much of a drastic effect because okay. it, it's not sleep deprivation per se that, you know, it doesn't allow you to get your micronutrients in. Because if you still have a good diet and you're sleep deprived and you're getting your, you know, your recommended intakes of certain micronutrients, it's sleep deprivation isn't going to just all of a sudden remove that from your body. Okay. It'll cause other issues. Yeah. Um, but if you're getting ample amounts of the micronutrient, that won't cause your deficiency. Okay. Um, and then when we talk about uh, melatonin... Uh, if, if you really want to maximize your sleep and do it naturally, I always say just get more sleep, work on your sleep hygiene, and try to stay away from uh, 
any type of supplementation. But if you, for sake, need an ergogenic aid, melatonin can help you, okay? Um, but it's more or less better used for people who are going through jet lag uh, or who are changing, you know, different time zones um, or who have insomnia. Melatonin has especially been seen in the research as beneficial for individuals who have insomnia. Okay. Um, because the most, the biggest thing about sleep and drugs is sleep medications themselves are very bad for you. Okay. There, there is a, there is definitely an association between uh, all, all cause mortality risk and the intake of these sleep drugs. They're just, they're not good for you. Huh. Um, so this is why I recommend, you know, sleep hygiene and physical activity. So that, that's my two cents on supplementation. Uh, if you want to talk about, you know, now let's talk about food. Okay. You know, should, what, what about eating before I go to sleep? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we could really talk about this forever because there's so many aspects we could talk about. If we talk about this from a circadian rhythm perspective, um, and you know, maybe we should leave this until, you know, after we talk about sleep hygiene, cause this is a whole another world. Um, but it all kind of, you know, comes together. So, you know, let's just talk about it. So I told you guys about the, you know, time restricted feeding, you know, I mentioned that briefly. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is a new area of science. Um, it's not new per se, but it's, it's, it's now really starting to become into focus. Um, and an individual by the name of Dr. Sachin Panda does a lot of his research in chronobiology, circadian rhythm science, specifically looking at time-restricted eating. Um, and just to, you know, give you a big summary, time-restricted eating, because you had mentioned intermittent fasting, yep. and I know intermittent fasting is a big fad right now, okay? Huge. Yeah. Intermittent, everyone says intermittent fasting makes you leaner, yeah. you lose body fat. It's going to cure that. cancer. It's the tits. And I, the I'll, tits. I'll tell you right now, it, when it comes to weight loss, intermittent fasting is not better than any nope. other yeah. diet as, as when said. it comes dun, dun, to weight dun. loss. If, if there's anything I've learned from my PhD program, being in dietetics, uh, and in these in these metabolism classes is, you know, when it comes to weight loss, there's no differences between intermittent fasting versus a ketogenic diet versus preach. a high carb diet versus a low, low fat diet. Fucking okay? preach. There's no difference between these diets. Yeah. It's, it's more or less, and I got to be careful what I say too, it's that caloric deficit. Yeah. Okay. But what science also tells us is it's all variable. Okay. It when depends. it comes to weight loss, it, once again, it depends. Yeah. One person, you might be able to lose weight on a, cal a caloric deficit of 500 calories that someone preaches yeah. uh, in fit that you would see in the fitness industry. Um, but, you know, a calorie is not necessarily a calorie. Like, what do they say? A pound of fat is 3,500 calories. Um, and that in order for you to lose a pound, you need to be in, you need to have, you know, 3,500 3, calories less over time. Yeah. According to research, that's not true for everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. For some people, they might need a deficit as low as a total of 1,600 calories in order to lose weight. For some other poor bastards, they might need upwards of 6,900 calories of, in a deficit just to lose weight. Okay? Oh darn! Um, that is a lot. So <laughs> the, there's a whole there's that yeah. there's the whole myth of 3,500 calories is that's the end all be all when really research has shown us that's not yeah. true. You yeah. just okay? said some poor bastard could be double that. So weight loss is very variable <laughs> yeah. between individuals. Um, which is why, you know, most fitness coaches you'll see in the bodybuilding world, they'll give an individual a set of macronutrients and then they'll allow them to stick to those targets over time and they'll keep responding. Yeah. And when they stop responding, that's that when they change. Them, okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that's really the only way to figure out how your body responds. 
Um, but we, we just got off on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, okay, that's okay. Yeah. So, so now, you know, intermittent fasting, like, yes, there are benefits to fasting, okay? There for sure are, uh, because it gives the body a break, okay, as far as when we talk about uh, the microbiome in the gut, okay? Because all health starts from the gut um, and processing food and whatnot. Um, so when we look at your circadian, so this is a big uh, concept that Dr. Sachin Panda likes to present, is, you know, we are diurnal creatures, okay? Human beings, we're awake during the day and we go to sleep at night. So if you wanna put this into an easy perspective to understand, think of it as 12 hours we're awake and 12 hours, you know, we're at night. And during these sets of 12 hours, we have different processes that the body wants to constitute its efforts towards, okay? So during the day, what do we wanna do? We wanna be awake, we wanna be active, we wanna eat. So we have our metabolic processes that are gauged for that, okay? At night, when we start to turn down and your, and your circadian gets on the opposite side of the loop, then it wants to do a different set of processes, more recovery-type processes. Um, so, for instance, one of the big things about fasting that people will talk about is this concept of autophagy. Do you guys know what autophagy is? No. no. Um, so, autophagy is a process that, uh, just to make it sound simple, is basically a filter system throughout your body where it, it tries to remove... Um, the junk and the bad byproducts, the bad cells, the errors, et cetera, um, from, from your cells. Uh, and they usually will attest autophagy as one of those processes that's um, gauged for anti-cancer, anti-aging, because it gets rid of those, you know, those free radicals, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It gets rid of the errors. It gets rid of the ubiquinated proteins, et cetera. Um, and so what happens is, is when you stop eating, um, autophagy more likely is to take over because if you look at an actual pathway, the mTOR pathway. Whether you guys are you yes. familiar with mTOR, okay. So for those of you guys who don't know, the mTOR pathway is what stimulates muscle protein synthesis and building. Okay, so every time we eat, we stimulate the mTOR pathway. The stimulation of the mTOR pathway inhibits the uh, processes of uh, autophagy. Okay, um, so if we want to talk about now. Let's just go simple because that was just another little tiny tangent. Um, so the best way that Dr. Panda describes this is during the day you have one set of processes that are trying to get on the highway. Okay? And then at night you have a different set of processes that try to get onto the highway. Okay? They're trying to get on the 10. They're trying to get on Phoenix from Scottsdale. Okay? Now, remember, let, let's, let's take this back. So remember the SCNN is the part of my brain that stimulates activity. Okay? Uh, it's stimulated by light. The rest of your, your peripheral tissues are stimulated by what you eat, by food, okay? So if I eat really late at night, so let's say I'm trying to rev down, I'm trying to relax, I want my recovery processes to start to take over, and I eat something late at night, well, what's that going to do? The peripheral tissues are going to sense that. It's going to start the processes for metabolism to break down that food instead. So now when we look at the highway, all of a sudden we have the processes that want to take uh, – that want to take hold at night, try to get on the highway, but then the processes that want to break down the food try to get back on the highway again, and now we've got this huge cluster, this huge traffic jam trying to get on the highway of, of everything trying to happen all the time. Merge at the okay? same time. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so the body will still try to focus on digesting that food rather than winding down and getting the body ready to go to, to rest and recuperate. Okay. Mm. Um, and that's the whole thing about this, you know, this circadian science. And that's what they find, you know, on a genetic level will start to, you know, this is why all those mechanistic things happen to, for the endocrine system, the metabolic system that we talked about earlier. Yep. Okay. Um, 
And if we want to talk about uh, going towards diabetes again, uh, when you eat food late at night, so let's say um, that I had a, a big late night meal, okay? I was really tired. And if I'm really tired, what usually happens is, is I have a high level of melatonin in the blood, okay? That was secreted, that was ready to go. If I eat that food, okay? So what happens is when melatonin enters the bloodstream, it inhibits the pancreas from releasing insulin, okay? But what happens when you eat food, okay? When you eat a late night meal, I'm gonna eat that food and all of a sudden the pancreas is like, hey, there's food, I need to release insulin, okay? But because of what's going on with the body trying to rev down and go to sleep, the melatonin will actually inhibit the pancreas from releasing as much insulin as it needs to take care of all the glucose that's running around in your bloodstream. So what happens? I have higher levels of blood sugar, okay? And that's one of the mechanisms that goes towards people not having the same benefits of tolerating that glucose being in the bloodstream, and that's right. what can contribute to higher blood sugar and lead to metabolic issues over time. Huh. So Sachin Panda gives the recommendation of, you know, intermittent fasting has the goal to lose weight. Time-restricted eating is you're not trying to lose weight, you're just keeping your eating window within a 10 to 12 hour window of time, okay? So he likes to describe a healthy circadian is when I wake up in the morning, I feel recovered, I feel refreshed, I feel ready to go, okay? I have a healthy bowel movement, and then I might have my first meal after an hour or two of waking up, okay? I go throughout the day, I'm alert, I'm awake, I'm productive, and then as the day starts to wind down, a healthy circadian would also mean that, you know, I've got my meals throughout the day. I've gone an hour or two without eating a meal before I go to sleep to allow proper rest and digestion, clear the food. So now the body's processes are ready to relax, okay? I feel tired. You know, I feel, I feel fatigued from the day, which is a natural thing. And I go to sleep and I have a good quality of sleep. That's what a healthy and circadian should be. Mm. And when those things don't happen, that's when where our circadian might not be in the healthiest state it can be. And you can compare someone who has a healthy circadian towards not having a healthy circadian, and you can see all of these issues that start to appear, whether it's prevalence for cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cognitive performance, et cetera. Okay? Uh, and you guys should definitely look into his research because it's, it's really eye-opening stuff. So they're starting to think now that it might not be necessarily how much you eat as it is when you eat, okay? So let's give you guys a big example. So Sachin Panda did a study on mice, okay? A lot of these, a lot of these research studies are done in animal models, okay? And they're just starting to perform them in humans. And they looked at an example of the American-style diet, okay? A high-fat diet, okay? And they had three groups of mice, okay? Each group of mice got the same number of calories in the same diet of a high-fat diet, okay? They had one group of mice. Now, mice, take in mind, are the opposite of people, okay? So people are diurnal creatures. We wake, we stay awake during the daylight, and we go to sleep at night. Mice are nocturnal, so it's flipped, okay? So one group was ad libitum, which means they're able to eat at any time during the day or night that they wish, okay? 24 hours a day, okay? Then they had a group of mice that was restricted to those 12 hours. So just for a frame of reference, let's say it was from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., okay, for a, for, a, for a mouse. And then they had another group of mice that was an even shorter period of nine hours of eating window, okay? After about 16 weeks of the research goes by, of doing this study, they, they looked at different things within the mice. 
and they found that the group of mice that were able to eat all times during their cycle gained weight, had lower glucose tolerance, insulin resistance, and had all these markers for you know poor poor health factors. Okay, the mice that stayed on a time restricted diet didn't gain a thing, and were healthy. The third group of mice that were on a restricted even more a nine hour window saw all the same benefits that the 12 hour group of mice did and more. They saw an upregulation in mitochondrial biogenesis. Okay. Which, which usually you see in fasting, you see an increase in mitochondria. Um, so they also think that being on a time-restricted window may also contribute to helping out with errors within the mitochondria and actually help keep your mitochondria healthy and more functional, which is a great thing for anything in the body. Because when you think mitochondria, you think, okay. Powerhouse of the cell. Powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> that's, you know, usually in order to build mitochondria, you need to do what? Endurance cardiovascular yeah. activity, okay? Yeah. Which is what a lot of bodybuilders and strength trainers don't want to do. Whereas they're, they're actually finding that when you normalize like that, you can actually help, you know, regulate that. Even though cardiovascular exercise is one of the best things for your overall health. So... What I got out of this is that we don't have to do cardio. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't take I'm that kidding. message now. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, but that's just a small insight into the world of time restriction. So it's it's Boom. it's crazy because you know how people would say before that okay, you're not supposed to eat after a certain amount, I, I, after like a certain time of the day. So you're telling us now that there's actually some like some it's merit actually, to yeah, that. Yeah, some merit. There's to some that. merit to yes. that now. Yes. There because is. there's people that say, oh no, you could you could eat no it carbs after six, bro. No carbs after six. But I think people just have a, <laughs> like uh, they had the, the the wrong way of thinking about it. But you're saying that there's actually some merit to it that it it can actually contribute to um like uh like weight loss Correct. or to not um excess weight gain because. So, your, in, your insulin sensitivity correct. is improved. Yes, cor that is very correct. So one of the big points that Sachin Panda likes to make about time-restricted feeding is it's not exactly something that's going to result in a lot of weight loss. Okay, It's not something that you're going to see all of a sudden a big dramatic loss in weight. It's, it's a potentiality to see improvements in your overall health on yes. a physiological level. So overall health, correct. not just weight loss yes yeah. and for those who do see weight loss and you'll see this in any type of fasting style diet or time restricted <clears throat> feeding people just naturally eat less yeah okay which is also why intermittent fasting has such a big boom in popularity right now and why people think it's so Ooh, superior. it's a magical diet it's not that it's it's not that you're you know it's better than any other diet it's just naturally you just eat less because your window to eat is smaller uh, and that's that's another great point but you know, this time-restricted eating uh, science could have a great merit, and uh, it's, it's a really exciting area that's, you know, we'll see as the research develops. I'm excited. I'm excited to see where, uh, where we, what conclusions we can kind of draw from that yeah. as, as time goes so, by. So back to sleep hygiene now, you know, another piece of the pie could now be, you know, maybe not having a heavy meal at night, maybe trying to end your meals around 6 or 7 o'clock, Give yourself an hour or two to digest and then go to sleep and see if your sleep quality might be a little better. And I, I've actually done this anecdotally and 100%. I've always, I've always felt a lot better, especially if you have a high-fat meal at night. That can really mess you up. Um, they do suggest you know, your, your gut is more able to handle a higher-fat meal during the morning and maybe have like a lighter meal during the evening, you know, maybe more high-protein, high-vegetable. Um, 
But there's also some evidence to show maybe having a little bit of carbohydrate before bed, like a banana, might actually help sleep quality. But that there's there's little evidence to support that. Yeah. Interesting. So before we start wrapping up here about sleep hygiene, some practical recommendations we can do. I want to ask, because uh, off air while we were setting up the tech, <clears throat> we talked about some people that we all listen to, Gary V, Gary v Eric Thomas, and all these people that are kind of just on and on and on and on and on and on and on, 100% all the time, um, probably getting very little sleep. If you were able to spend some time with this person, what would be your recommendation for them? Okay. For someone who's trying to get better sleep. Yeah. So let's just say Gary V comes to you and says, Chris, I want to get better sleep, but I have all How these. How do you pitch this to Gary V so that he's like, all right, this is going to increase my ROI. Well, not just that, not just that, but what, <laughs> that's what he cares about. <laughs> what recommendations would you have for someone like that? That's just has all these crazy obligations is like an executive or runs this huge company, sure. all these okay. things. So let's just wrap, let's wrap up sleep hygiene. This is the perfect way to do it now. Okay, cool. Okay. So if I'm sitting in front of someone, you know, whether it's Gary V or an entrepreneur like Lewis house or Grant Cardone, or even a college student who's trying to be successful, he's trying to do a side business, he's trying to build a social media, he's trying to do all this stuff. Trying to start a podcast. Anyone who's on the go 100% of the time, this is what I'm going to tell you, okay? Here's everything that has to do with sleep hygiene. Number one, have a consistent sleep schedule. Wake up at the same time every day, go to bed at the same time every day. And this is going to hurt all of you, you two here and everyone listening. This includes sleeping in and staying up late on the weekends, okay? <laughs> I am not lying to you. Even that two-day disruption could cause you to not be able to wow. get on a consistent schedule circadian-wise for another two to three days after that, okay? Mm -hmm. So sleeping in an extra two to three hours on the weekends is only going to do you more harm than good. Same thing with staying up late at right. that night because you're also going to be more likely to engage in risky behaviors, okay? So <laughs> or, or unhealthy behaviors, <laughs> nutrition-wise or physical activity-wise. So number one, <laughs> have a sound sleep schedule and be consistent with it, okay? That way your body's on a cycle and it's going to do things more naturally on its own at certain times and it's going to be more regular for your body, okay? It's, it's going to be much better. So that's rule number one, consistent as possible as you can be, okay? Next, regular physical activity, okay? Regular physical activity, there's a plethora of research that says, yes, regular physical activity helps uh, better sleep quality, okay? And I'm not going to say at a particular time during the day, okay, any amount of physical activity. Um, some, you know, let's, let's do some moderate intensity, do some vigorous intensity, do some strength training, okay? A well-balanced physical activity program, okay? That's going to cause you that need for restitution and for restoration, but also just because physical activity has such a profound impact on your all-cause mortality from all types of chronic disease, okay? Yeah. So regular physical activity, and if you're a nighttime person, don't be afraid of physical activity at night because some people will say, well, isn't exercise not good for you at night? That's false. There's only a select few that that might negatively impact their sleep for the most part based off of research from the national sleep foundation it doesn't negatively impact a lot of people's sleep okay so regular <clears> physical <throat> activity that's two okay a nutritious balanced diet okay because a diet's going to have everything uh to do with sleep quality as well if you're having you know all these poor quality of foods that's going to you know increase your risk of all these other things um, that's also going to affect overall sleep quality. That's more of, more of a, a health thing than an actual sleep quality thing, but it's something I like to throw in there anyway. It's another piece part of the pie. Yes, okay? why not? Uh, next for sleep mm -hmm. hygiene, stress. Okay, 
Stretch is a huge thing, especially towards the end of the night. If we're on the go at all times of the day, especially if I'm Gary V, okay? I wake up in New York City in a hotel room. I haven't seen my family in forever. And I have all these crazy social media things to do. I have to run a business. I have to do my Gary V podcast. I have to do all my things on my social media brand. If you're not on top of your stress, you'll go nuts, okay? Uh, so yes. do things that help keep your stress at an all-time low, okay? Physical activity. Eating the right types of foods, all right? Um, stress management through mindfulness and meditation, which we'll get towards the nighttime uh, sleep hygiene uh, tips that I have for you all. Uh, so just being on top of that stress, because if we're on, if we're in that sympathetic tone all day long, and we don't do what's necessary to relax and be in that more parasympathetic, then we're going to have balance issues with our nervous system, and that make it that much harder for us to fall asleep. Uh, so just being able to relax, okay, um, being able to sit back and take everything in as a whole, rather than being reactive to every single situation, okay. Um, next, sleep hygiene. Now sleep hygiene towards the night, okay. Um, so towards the night, your body temperature, remember, reaches its peak during the late afternoon into the evening, okay? So they, they found that maybe taking a nice warm bath before going to bed will help ease you into that more sleepiness state, okay? That does sound nice. For those who are doing <laughs> physical fitness, throw some heat stress in there. Maybe jump in the sauna or jump in the steam room and then take a warm shower before you go to bed. Um, wind everything down. When you get into your home, don't have all the lights on. Okay, don't have a million TVs and cell phones and everything running at you. A limit, limit electronic activity one to two hours before bed. Okay, if you have to use your phone, get a blue light filter. If you have to use your computer, get a blue light filter. If you have to watch Game of Thrones or Grey's Anatomy or The Bachelorette, get some short wavelength glasses. Okay. <laughs> I think um, right now the current one's The Bachelor. I think, the bachelor. I, I think it's just The Bachelor. <laughs> I think The Bachelorette is... is uh, but but any, any activity uh, that's going to be stimulating like that, it doesn't matter. It's still going to have an effect on your ability to fall asleep soundly. So try to do more relaxing activities towards the end of the night. Try, if we want to talk about time-restricted eating and having a healthy circadian, maybe have a lighter dinner that's occurs one to two hours before you fall asleep to, to try and improve that possibility of having a deeper quality of sleep, okay? And then now the environment of your bedroom. Your bedroom should not have a television set, okay? Your bedroom should be set up for sleep and sleep only, okay? It should be a dark, uh, very low-lit room, all right? It should be cool temperature or whatever temperature it is for you to help fall asleep because this will differ for people as well, yeah. but usually a very dark, cool room, all right? That is just sleep and only sleep because what will happen, and also you should only use it for sleep for this reason. If you do activities in your bedroom that you want to sleep in that are stimulating, such as reading, studying, working on your computer, playing video games, watching TV, that is an active activity. So subconsciously, your body will uh, will uh, notice, will, will perceive that room as more of an active type of area. So subconsciously, when you enter that room, your body will be more active, okay? Whereas if you keep those activities to the outside, into your living room area or your kitchen, you know, other parts of your house, and then when you enter your room that's for sleep and only sleep, your body's more likely to rev down and actually be ready for sleep, okay? Uh, so that, that, those are my environmental cues. 
Um, and then if you do have sleeping issues such as insomnia, you know, consult your physician or your doctor and look into things like melatonin to help you fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the biggest thing at the end is relax. Do those mindfulness practices. Um, if you're religious, do some prayer. If you want to really wind down, do some deep, frag- uh, deep diaphragmatic breathing. Do some light stretching. Do some yoga. Do any type of activity that's going to take your stress away. So like for you, for instance, play your instrument. Uh, do those activities that help wind you down and get you ready for bed at night to help give you that deep quality of sleep. Okay? Because remember, once again, it's, it's the quality of sleep. You could have 10 hours of sleep and it not be purposeful to you at all if the quality was bad Okay, versus someone who might have got six really high quality hours of sleep. And then, of course, aim for upwards of seven or more hours of sleep. My recommendation is eight or more. Awesome. I love it. Those are all super good recommendations. Um, I think Gary Vee will get a lot of value out of this podcast. <laughs> so, Gary Vee, if you're listening, follow your boy. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll send it to him. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll find a way to get this to him somehow. Yeah. Um, last thing, because I think you have a really interesting way of, of doing your own winding down strategy, so I'd like you to talk about that. And um, Jay and I uh, will talk about our things real quick, too, and then we'll wrap up here. Sure. Um, so I have a routine. Um, And being an individual who knows what it's like to be on the go 24-7. I mean, I've been in graduate school now for a long time. Um, (laughs) I've been been in this arena for a while, high stress. um, And you really need to have a routine that works for you personally in order to have a good hold of your everyday life, especially when it comes to stress. And me being a very high-stress individual, um, I have to be. I have to have a routine. I have to be crazy about it or else one little thing that I don't do could affect my performance and outlook on the day. Um, so I'm a very faithful person. You know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I find myself uh, being very loud, joyous, and goofy, um, and very motivational. Um, I, I love that type of thing. And the biggest thing for me is honing in on my faith, um, starting my day with you know, waking up and starting with gratitude. Um, and the way that I got started with this uh, was during my master's degree, um, you know, you're away from your family, hard times. Um, you you got to find ways to get motivated to get throughout the day because, you know, life's tough. Um, um, and you got to find that way just to, to get you, you know, upbeat and ready to go. And, you know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, a lot of these inspirational entrepreneurs like Gary Vee, Lewis Howes, Grant Cardone, um, they all preach, you know, gratitude. But I'll tell you straight up, gratitude is one of the best things you can do in the morning to set your mind right. Yeah. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's what goes on up here in your mind that has its overall effect on your body and how you carry yourself throughout the day and how your day goes. Um, You can choose to be in a great mood and you can choose to be in a bad mood. Um, So my morning routine is I wake up in the morning and as soon as I wake up and my eyes open, I give myself five seconds, okay? Anything more than that and that gives your brain time to think, to instantly roll out of bed, okay? As soon as I roll out of bed, I wake up anywhere from 4.30 to 5 a.m. every morning, okay? As soon as I'm done that, I, I start my gratitude, okay? I do my, my early morning prayer, whether it's my prayer to God, you know, I say my blessings for my family, my friends, everything that's important to me. And then I, I call this my morning priming routine. And if anyone who follows me on social media knows that I do this because I post about it almost every day, okay? I do my morning priming routine and I do, three, I do these things. I, I, t- I speak to myself, you know, what am I most grateful for in my life? Then I remind myself, what is it that I need to improve on? And then I say, what is my purpose today for my life? 
And then I remind myself, what are my goals one month from now and three months from now? And then I say to myself, what are my goals, you know, for the rest of my life? Then I do my blessings and then I, I open my eyes, I get ready to go. And then while I'm in the shower and getting dressed, I listen to one of my favorite motivational videos or I put on some of my crazy epic music that I like listening to that gets me going because that's what wakes me up and gets me going. Okay, okay? Lane Norton. <laughs> um, so that's my morning routine. Okay. Uh, and then I normally don't eat breakfast right away. I usually wait an hour or two uh, because I try to, to practice a time-restricted feeding type of diet yep. um, to where I'll keep it to about 10 to 12 hours per day. Um, and then on my way to work, I'll listen to a church sermon, uh, because it, usually my church sermons are really powerful and really motivational, and that's what helps get me going. Now, for those of you who aren't Christian or religious, um, I, in the past, I've also used motivational videos on YouTube. Whatever gets your mind going at all times yeah. to maintain that positive mindset uh, is what really helps my routine, uh, my routine get through. I go throughout my day. You know, I, you know, I, I make sure I have a smile on my face. I stay as productive as I can. I try to, as hard as it is, I try to keep off my phone as much as possible to stay productive. Uh, I make sure to engage in regular physical activity. Um, I alternate every day. I used to do a six-day training split, bodybuilding style, weightlifting. Um, but now, since I want to take more of an overall approach to health, I every other day will do a strength training-based workout and a little bit of cardiovascular training. And then on the other day, I will do primarily cardiovascular training and more mobility-type work. Um, just to stay on top of all aspects of fitness. Um, and then I'll also make sure to get natural light. And this is very important for, guy, for individuals who need to worry about sleep quality, is you need natural <laughs> light because uh, it's that light that helps stimulate your circadian properly. Because what happens nowadays, we're all, we all have jobs that are indoors. They block out the light. All of our classrooms are indoors. Our schools are indoors. We, we were meant to have that natural light that comes through our eyes that stimulates our body's processes. So I always recommend in the mornings, you know, on your way to work, get get some sunlight. You know, stay outside for at least 10 to 15 minutes before you start your work day. You know, get that natural light to help stimulate, get you ready to go. Because they have done research that shows individuals who get that more natural light compared to people that don't are more likely to have, you know, depressive symptoms and be, you know, have more negative aspects uh, of their day. Um, and then not only will I have you know, regular meals throughout the day naturally, but I also try to walk as often as possible. Uh, and yeah. being in a university type environment, uh, that's very helpful. Uh, and it's, it's very easy to do walking in between classes, you know, walking to and from the office. Yes. Um, so try to be as active and on your feet as possible. Try to walk as much as possible. Um, and then as you're winding down throughout the day, you know, practice those, those sleep hygiene practices. So for me, usually it's, you know, if I got my workout done during the middle of the day, then I can stay productive all day, do my work, come home, have my last meal. And then before I go to bed, start my evening routine, or I'll have my workout in the evenings, which most of the time I have to do because of my busy schedule. Uh, I'll get my workout in and then have my last meal. I'll go home. I'll once again, listen to something more motivational uh, or learning something because I always want to make sure I'm learning. Um, and then when I get home, get ready for the next day, shut my TV off an hour before bed, you know, try to, try to not be on my phone if I can help it. Um, and then if I have to do some work, I'll do some work or I'll get right into my evening routine, which normally has to do with some, some light stretching, some, you know, maybe some foam rolling. Um, and then I'll end the day the way I started the day with my priming again, and I'll do my gratitude, my prayer. And then that keeps my mind right, helps me relax. I do my heavy breathing. I'll do a little bit of meditation. 
Um, I like to use the Calm app, uh, which I've just recently started using. So it's very similar to Headspace, for those of you who know what Headspace is, because uh, that guided meditation helps me <clears throat> rev down in the evening. Oh, is that um, the Calm Circle, or is that a different thing? That might be a different thing. I'm okay. not sure what it is. Um, okay. But, but Calm Disregard is definitely that. a cool thing to do, and then once I fall asleep, <laughs> I wake up, and I do it all over again. And I do this as often as possible because I also am an individual who tries to keep it consistent on the weekends. Uh, and I try not to sleep in as much as I can. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. I'll just run through mine really quick uh, for anyone who cares. Uh, so I wake up and I actually got this advice from uh, someone that I've been working with recently. Um, there's this app. I don't, can't remember the freaking name of my phone's dead, so I can't pull it up. But it's called something like something just a one one word spark or something like that and it delivers a positive affirmation every morning um straight to you so you know sometimes it's super cheesy things sometimes it's really good motivational things like chris was talking about that just kind of put your mind in the right the right place to start the day so you know it could be anything like you know it's it's okay to to forgive forgive yourself for something that you did in the past or something like that even though it's something very small like that i like that a lot because i do get into my own head a lot and and having something like this just makes me get in the right mindset uh, at the beginning of the day um at nights when i do start to wind down i do what uh has been i guess quote unquote patented copywritten by uh, mark bell uh his uh 10 minute walks often they turn into like 20 minute walks or so um I'll just walk around my apartment complex, plug in a podcast, or watch a watch a YouTube video. Often it's Crash Course because they have funny animations and it's an educational way as well. Um, <clears throat> or just you know podcast. So just something to keep my mind uh, to keep my mind listening and, and busy. Um, and yeah, so I don't have a as detailed routine yet as Chris does, but I'm sure as I uh, move along, I, I'll I'll start to get something like that. Jay, do you do anything? Uh, I know you play Leaky Lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm kind of similar to you, Chris, is that I'm I'm not a super religious person, but I'll wake up every morning, and for anybody that knows me knows that I'm a super positive individual. Um, It's just how I've kind of evolved into um, myself, and that um, uh, being away from my family, I'm thankful, I'm I'm really thankful for them, I'm thankful for the people that that have uh, worked themselves into um, my life, and I'm grateful for them being there. And uh, I'm just grateful for you know waking up, being able to wake up in the morning and still and still be here. So I'm a very grateful and positive individual, um, and that's how I always start start my days, and it keeps me positive. Um, as far as a night routine goes, uh, I have started uh, playing an instrument lately. It's a ukulele, and that's been really help uh, been really helpful in uh, putting me in a relaxed uh, mind state. And as we talked about earlier today, is that it's actually really good because it eliminates distractions and uh, more, more importantly, it eliminates the stress um, that you know that builds up during the day, and it helps me get into a really relaxed state that primes me for um, for a better quality of sleep. So I'll probably uh, nail down a, a more um, a, a better routine for sleeping. Um, I, I'm definitely gonna listen to this podcast one more time to um, you know kind of absorb the thing a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, but I think having a specific morning and uh, sleeping routine uh, would definitely be v- very beneficial for me. So thank you for all that. You're welcome. Yeah. And don't hesitate to contact me. Um, I'm, I'm here to help as many people as I can. 
go ahead, plug yourself. Yeah. Uh, let people, Facebook, let people know where you can find sure. Um, so you can search me. Um, my email is caperry6 at asu.edu if you want to contact me directly. Um, and I'm more active on social media on Instagram now than anything else. Uh, my Instagram name is cperry001. Uh, my social media is still in the beginning phases of its building and development, but it's it's some recent uh, some recent really good developments to where I'll hopefully start to have time to really start getting into it again and posting good content for people. But I'm always opening for helping. Just give me a direct message, ask me a question, and I'll do whatever I can for you. Slide in his DMs. <laughs> <laughs> Soon to be Dr. Perry. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, Appreciate it. it we'll, have you. I'm sure we'll have you back on again to talk about something else. Yes. Sure. Yeah, we didn't get into your research uh, this uh, this podcast, but we'd definitely like to um, have you over again and talk more about that. Get into like the even more details of how the nitty gritty. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. I'm in the uh, I'm in the develop I'm developing it now, and hopefully we'll do my comps and proposal this spring. So as soon as Fantastic. that's all set in stone, I'd love to come and talk to you guys again. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this other episode of the Agora Podcast. You can find me, Michael Navarro, at uh, Instagram, just Mikey Ernesto underscore the Agora. And Mr. Juan Troth. And you can find me at agent underscore J-S-C-H-R-O-T-H on Instagram. Thank you for listening, guys. See you next time. And one last thing, agora10.com, A-G-O-R-A-T-E-N.com. Um, I'll probably put this one up before Christmas time. So Merry Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. If yes. not, happy, happy holidays. holidays. And Have happy a good New, new Year. Take care. Don't get too hammered. Get some sleep. Yes.